welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. In this multi-interview episode, I dive into the wild world of Kusama. With my three guests, Will Pankowitz, Raul Ramanuti, and Bruno Schwartz, we explore the connection and difference between Kusama and Polkadot. We define some of the key components of the ecosystem, do a check-in on how Kusama governance and on-chain decision-making has evolved since its launch, and we learn about the secret society, Kusama's creative chaos culture, and more. I also chat with Bruno about his novel Kusama-based NFT project, Remark. But before we start in, I want to let you know about ZK Hack, a multi-round online event with workshops and puzzle-solving competitions. This is put together by the podcast and the ZK Validator, and is supported by a number of fantastic sponsors. It kicked off last week, but it runs on a weekly cadence. Every Tuesday, we're doing a workshop and a new puzzle is released. And this is going on for seven weeks, so there's still plenty of time for you to join in if you haven't already. So I hope to see you there. I've added the link in the show notes. I also want to point you to the ZK Jobs Board. There, you can find hiring ZK and blockchain-focused teams. So if you're looking for a new opportunity to work in the space, be sure to pop over and check it out. I would also like to thank this week's sponsor, Centrifuge, a real-world DeFi project. Centrifuge puts real-world assets on the blockchain, allowing issuers to get liquidity on their assets and investors to make a safe, stable yield in the volatile crypto world. It's built on Substrate, which you're actually going to hear a little bit about in this episode, and it also bridges the Ethereum and Polkadot worlds. Centrifuge are currently hiring for a number of positions, such as protocol engineer, product manager, full stack engineer, and more. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more about these jobs. So thank you again, Centrifuge. Now here is my episode all about Kusama. In today's episode, I am exploring the world of Kusama. And to do this, I'm going to be inviting three guests on the show for three separate interviews. My first guest is Will Pankowitz from Parody. Welcome to the show, Will. Thank you. Thank you. Will, you've been at Parody for... Like two years Two now. years. Yep. Tell me a little bit about what you do at Parody. So I have a funny title called Master of Validators. So uh, I haven't seen this elsewhere, and this is also kind of a thing that's... It's funnily enough, actually, like on my passport nowadays. Uh, it's like for my German visa and stuff like that. It's actually listed as like Master of Validators in there, which every time I go through like customs and borders, it's people look at me kind of funny. But uh, essentially what this means is I kind of coordinate a lot of people in the ecosystem, people that run infrastructure uh, solely, well, I guess mainly kind of, I guess, like validators, but also just anyone that runs nodes. So this includes uh, people like uh, exchanges, block explorers, wallets, anything like that sort of. But um, it's a little bit more kind of general as well. Um, I'm pretty interested in just kind of participate in just the ecosystem of people doing things in like governance and people just integrating things in general, just like participating. And so, yeah. Cool. Are you doing this on Kusama and Polkadot or just on Kusama? Uh, both both networks um, generally kind of the process of actually like doing things like releases actually putting out binaries putting out things that people run uh, the process is actually pretty similar and so uh, in, in this sense kind of the communities for both that that run things are a bit different but the process of doing things is, is quite similar and so generally I will kind of coordinate both kind of groups of people I would say and when you talk about the validators you're primarily talking about like the the central network. In one case, it would be like the relay chain of Kusama or the relay chain of Dot. Because there's like 
parachains now on Kusama as well. And you're not necessarily working on that side or are you like, what is, where does, where does the validator set end for you? Yeah. And that's, that's, I guess why I kind of say I do just things in the, the ecosystem and kind of people that just run infrastructure in general, uh, the line between like, okay, where is Kusama and where is kind of like Polkadot and, and where is also the ecosystem is actually kind of a little bit blurry there. Uh, generally, it's kind of like people that will run things, all these different teams, all these different parachains, all these different projects will also have to run infrastructure and whatnot as well. Mm. And a lot of the things that they're kind of building upon and, and based upon is also kind of built on Substrate, the same thing that we're using to build out Polkadot and Kusama. And so uh, there's also a bit of kind of coordination effort between a lot of the people that are running things like collators for, for parachains and just nodes in general across the ecosystem. Let's define, I mean... I've done a couple episodes on Polkadot and a couple episodes. I've done at least one episode on Kusama. But let's define for folks like what these words mean. Substrate. What is Substrate? Yeah, so Substrate is kind of this this blockchain building development framework. There's been like a lot of lessons that have been learned from kind of Parity building out like blockchain clients uh, from like Ethereum, but also Parity has been kind of working on things like uh, like a Zcash client, a Bitcoin client, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so at some point while we were kind of building Polkadot, we realized uh, there's kind of a lot of similarities in, in just the way that you actually build things out. And so we decided to kind of encapsulate a lot of these things as kind of primitives in, in this modular kind of framework called Substrate. And so Polkadot and Kusama are, are built with Substrate, but um, also all these kind of teams and ecosystem are also building out Substrate. Substrate is this like blockchain building framework that allows you to be a- able to just build your kind of like application specific blockchain with a lot of kind of flexibility and modularity. Cool. What is the relationship between Polkadot and Kusama? So Kusama is, as we call kind of this like canary network, it's this very much kind of this experimental kind of thing that we will deploy things first, that we kind of will push to the limits. Um, generally, kind of this idea of like a canary network is actually not really new. The idea of kind of canary deployments are actually like a, a kind of like well-defined like software thing. If if there's any kind of like big uh, traditional companies like Facebook or Google or like anything like that that make kind of like massive applications and whatnot, generally kind of like canary deployments is this idea of you want to kind of like have new features. Th- these may not be like feature complete. These these may kind of be like experimental um, things like that. And you want to kind of like roll this out to users. You want to actually roll this out to production. And so generally, it's kind of like you. Might might kind of like segment out the amount of people that actually will uh, be able to experience this. And so, for example, if you're going to like facebook.com or something like that, you would segment out. It's like, okay, maybe it's like one uh, one hundredth of the people that actually visit the site will kind of like experience uh, this thing. Yeah. And so generally it's this process of actually kind of just like, how do you deploy new things, new features, new uh, really like anything. And so Kusama is very much this place that You'll kind of deploy new things. You'll maybe have things that are more exper- experimental. You would actually kind of test the limits of kind of like what this thing actually kind of is. And generally kind of uh, compared to Polkadot, Polkadot is very much more so kind of this place where things might be a little bit more stable. Uh, things might be a little bit more kind of like predictable. Uh, things are more kind of like conservative. Kusama is more of kind of this place where we kind of like push things to the limit. We'll try things that we may or may not sure actually kind of like work. Kind of in general, the purpose is actually to to break Kusama to make sure that Polkadot is actually a place that people will have stable and conservative and really good applications and whatnot. So we also use the term relay chain, and maybe we should define that in the Kusama Polkadot world. So this idea of the relay chain is mostly to be able to have uh, things kind of like interoperability to be able to have a lot of these different chains actually being able to kind of like talk to each other to be able to share different kinds of like messages and whatnot. And there, security. 
insecurity. And so basically the, the way that you can have things kind of like interoperability via a lot of like these messages and whatnot is uh, all these different parachains will share this kind of like same um, security via the, the validators in the validator set for either Polkadot or Kusama. So this is kind of like where finality is derived uh, in the sense of, okay, once a block gets in kind of Polkadot or Kusama from all these kind of parachains, it cannot be reverted. And so all these different parachains will have consensus related to actually doing like block production. The thing of like finality and whatnot is kind of like once it goes onto Polkadot or Kusama, that's where this idea of like shared security and the idea of kind of like a relay chain is kind of like where where that comes from. Uh, I actually really kind of like this this blog post by uh, Mustafa from Celestia. He kind of put out pretty recently where they're talking about kind of like this idea of like clusters. And so you can imagine in the idea of kind of this this cross-chain interoperable world, there's kind of like different trust assumptions and different kind of like security assumptions for a lot of these different kind of like chains and these different environments. And so you can kind of like group these somewhat by like clusters sort of. And so you could have like inter-cluster communication and also like intra-cluster communication. And like these clusters will kind of like share similar kinds of like environments for things. And so you can imagine maybe like Ethereum and all these like layer twos will share kind of like the same kind of um, environment of sorts being Ethereum miners and, and, and just kind of proof of work and, and stuff there. But it, something like Polkadot, for example, shares also kind of this, this same similar environment of everything's by kind of like these, these relay chain validators. And so like this would be like a, a cluster in and of itself. You could have intercluster communication and then intra cluster communication where it's like, okay, maybe something from um, a Bitcoin bridge from Polkadot to, to Bitcoin. It's like that's kind of like just uh, one cluster communicating to another cluster in, in things like that. And so I find that actually like a, a good way of actually framing this in, in like a paradigm to, to think about these things by. Would you then think of Kusama as a cluster and then Polkadot's a different cluster? Yeah. So Okay. And so in, in that sense, like all the things on, on Kusama are kind of like their, their own thing sort of. And so it, it's very much the same way that like Kusama is to Polkadot what Ethereum is to kind of Polkadot, where it, it's, it's very much still kind of like separate. Um, there's still kind of like a, a bit of separate boundaries there. Uh, there will be kind of bridges and there will be ways to actually like communicate and, and, and share things and, and send things across and whatnot. But and it might be easier to build because the logic is the same. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like there's different trust assumptions, there's different kind of paradigms of how you would actually transact and stuff like that. But Kusama itself and Polkadot in and of itself are are different just because they're two different clusters. And so uh, the way that they actually kind of like communicate with each other in, within itself and outside of itself are a little bit kind of separate. The funny thing about doing this episode on Kusama currently, like today, is that as we speak, Polkadot parachains are coming online. And so the attention has been on Kusama up like for the last, I guess, six months because parachains were live and people could actually participate in crowd loans and, and start, we start to see the true vision for this like central relay chain and the parachains connected, but only on Kusama. But come, I guess, a month or two, we're going to see it on Polkadot. What do you think happens to Kusama if that sort of attention and direction now goes towards Polkadot. What happens to the projects on Kusama? Is it enough of a network of its own that it would actually survive this? Or is it kind of like going to fall more into the realm of like a testnet, incentivized testnet, what it maybe initially was? Yeah, so I, I mean, like we don't really it's use this term subjective. testnet. Like testnet is, a, is is kind of a dirty word, I, I, I suppose. But a, a lot of what I think the the difference will be is uh, there's at least kind of Rob Habmeyer recently kind of mentioned this in, in some some talks and like a blog post. But the idea of kind of like technical readiness versus kind of like maturity. 
in, in the sense of like, okay, right now, kind of for, for a lot of parachains, things are kind of like technically ready for, for this. This means On not, Polkadot? Yes. Okay. Well, like both Polkadot and Kusama. The, it, this is the idea that, okay, things are kind of like feature complete. Um, the code works, all, all that kind of stuff. But this isn't actually kind of like as mature as it probably could be in, in the sense of like, okay, optimizations, actually having things being like kind of very like bulletproof and kind of um, sturdy and, and just kind of like very robust kind of code base and, and infrastructure for a lot of these things. And I think uh, Kusama is very much this place where these things will mature uh, a lot quicker than they will on, on Polkadot, uh, both kind of like from the perspective of Kusama itself, like the actual kind of like relay chain, but also a lot of these parachain projects, uh, just because they can kind of like test things, they can iterate things on, on kind of like their features and, and their kind of code a lot faster. And eventually, kind of like it will be mature on Kusama, and then eventually it will kind of be mature on, on Polkadot there. And so, in, in this sense, uh, people I think will experiment a lot more on Kusama and actually like try things and test things out and test the boundaries of of all of this. And for that reason, like a lot of kind of what we'll see on Kusama, I think will will differ just in the sense of like if you think about like assets, for example, there might be like a little bit more exotic assets, there might be um, a little bit more kind of like interesting use cases, things that may or may not actually like make it over to to poke it out. Like maybe mm. things are kind of um, an application that may be kind of like experimental or something like that. And it will fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it fails it, on Kusama, I guess. <laughs> well, like even if it doesn't necessarily, uh, not necessarily fail, but it just doesn't necessarily like succeed. And so in that case, like it can exist on Kusama and, and not like succeed, but still exist and kind of just be this like existential thing. Um, but it just doesn't make its way onto poke out or something mm. like that. And so um, just the the amount of, of things that exist on Kusama, I think will be uh, a, a lot more than poke out but also there's just going to be a lot more like interesting, wacky experiments, I think. And also, I mean, maybe a note for the listeners, when you think of a parachain project, a lot of them, a lot of them kind of that are live today actually have two versions of themselves. So they have their usual, like their brand, their name that they've been working under for the last, I don't know, couple years, which is very much associated with Polkadot. But then they've created these, their own sort of test canary, not, sorry, not test net. Sorry. Sorry to every, <laughs> all the Kusama fans listening. I feel like I've offended some people. Sorry. But, um, but yeah, they have their own incentivized canary networks. So like the parachains basically have two versions of themselves, two iterations. And those canary versions are the ones that are using crowd loans to do the parachain auctions to get a slot on Kusama. So what you're saying is like, because I think that's maybe important for people to envision. Like, it's not necessarily like the relay chains of Polkadot and Kusama doing the crazy experiments. Maybe they are, but it's also these parachain canary versions. Um, I guess the most, like, in the Polkadot episode, I actually interviewed Akala and Moonbeam and Centrifuge. All of those networks actually have recently, I think, all gotten parachain slots on Kusama. And so, yeah, I guess what you're saying here is like the experimentation that they would need to do could happen there as well. It's like it, it's created an environment, not just for Kusama developers and the parody team to experiment, but also these parachain teams. Yeah. And I know a lot of these teams will actually have like very almost different strategies for how they'll like launch their kind of Kusama chain and also kind of like what their Polkadot chain will look like. Uh, I think, for example, like Centrifuge, their their chain for Kusama is called Altair and they're chain for Polkadot is called Centrifuge. But there, there are use cases for things I think they're targeting kind of like different kind of markets and different users. Um, for Polkadot, very much the, the idea is that like you want to have real-world assets in like liquidity for a lot of these real-world assets. 
uh, for Kusama, or at least for their like Altair chain, uh, I know a lot of kind of like what they're interested in is kind of just like wackier assets to be able to have like liquidity for. So things kind of like NFTs, things like art, things that you might kind of just not um, necessarily think about, maybe things to experiment with. And so like just because of like a lot of the, the partners that they work with and stuff like that is, is a little bit more uh, more traditional kind of companies in on the Polkadot chain. Um, some of the companies in, in kind of entities they might work with on Kusama might be a little bit more like out there, more uh, interesting use cases for things. And so I think a lot of these teams will kind of have just different use cases for, for different chains. Uh, maybe they want to like try things out and just like see, OK, maybe does this market segment work that we want to, to target and, and work with? And they don't know that they, they don't necessarily want to test that on, on Polkadot necessarily. And so Kusama is very much a place to kind of be able to validate kind of like business ideas and, and be able to kind of like test and, and see if things actually kind of uh, work and be able to kind of like fail quickly and then iterate and then kind of like actually make really cool and awesome innovative products and experiences. But I mean, I think of sort of a follow-up question or a thought I have here is, and I know you can't predict the future, but like, will there be teams where their main their main sort of Polkadot project just doesn't work that well and then they are only a Kusama parachain? Like, do you, or do you expect projects to only launch on Kusama as well? Like, I guess I'm trying to understand, like, can you really think about this as a truly unique ecosystem where it's so significantly different and has its own players? Or is it always going to be connected to Polkadot? Yeah, I think there's actually a handful of teams that have been interested in kind of the sentiment of only launching on Kusama. Uh, I guess one one in particular that kind of comes to mind is uh, Zeitgeist, which they're kind of interested in this kind of like futarchy ideas of prediction markets and whatnot. And so far, I think their plans are solely to, to launch on Kusama. I think in general, like just the communities for both are a bit different. The amount of people that will own either Kusama or, or Polkadot and just kind of like participating in things is also uh, fairly separate. Uh, both from the perspective of like people participating in crowd loans, people that are staking, people that are running validators and whatnot, um, both actually have divergent communities as of now. And so I think in the future, a lot of kind of the differences will be the way that these communities actually kind of like participate in things, the way that they kind of like organize themselves, uh, the ways that they kind of actually come together to actually be a part of what this ecosystem actually is, is. Um, I, I think kind of like one example of this is the society on Kusama, which is this very uh, interesting thing where people get tattoos to join this. You can think of this as kind of like a DAO of sorts. And I think this might have also been covered in a, a previous podcast or something like that. I but. don't know that I talked to. I mean, we did an episode on Kusama, but so long ago. I don't know if it already existed. This was before it launched. Yeah. So do you describe what the society <laughs> the, is it a secret society it could it could be i don't know or is Maybe. it an on-chain very public society it, where it, everyone knows who's in it yeah <laughs> i mean people at least know uh who's in it based on their addresses and whatnot but and the it, tattoos that they've yeah. gotten with yeah. kusama logos and yeah stuff? yeah it, it's like the idea is kind of this thing of almost like a human blockchain and so people uh in order to join this society uh this this DAO or, or whatnot you have to get a tattoo of something resembling the kusama network so it could be like the the canary logo it can be like the genesis hash um it could be kind of like anything uh very abstractly kind of like related to it uh so long as it kind of also contains the head of kind of the previous person that also kind of joined. Oh. And so you could like think of this almost as like a human blockchain sort of. It has to reference the previous tattoo yeah. or the previous the previous person. How how would you do that with a the tattoo has to or the tattoo the... has to have like an identifier of the previous person. So this is oh. oftentimes um, people will use these uh, indices, which is kind of like a very shortened version of kind of like the the public address of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, in it's order like five numbers or yeah, yeah, letters five, or something. Yeah, yeah. 
And so, like, in order to join this, you need to have kind of uh, what's called like proof of ink. Uh, you need to kind of like submit a bid for it, and people actually will be able to kind of like get money from this like pot of funds uh, for getting a tattoo. Wow! And so, it's actually really interesting, just because the way that a lot of the the economics of kind of the way that like funds work and stuff like that. Part of block awards will go to the Kusama Treasury. And the Kusama Treasury, the idea is just spending funds for kind of like good projects, public infrastructure, that kind of thing. But there's this kind of like spending pressure where if a certain amount of funds aren't spent by some period of time, generally they would get burned. And this is the case for Polkadot. They would get burned. But on Kusama, instead of being burned, they get uh, distributed to this this pot that's fun- funding this society of Wild. sorts. And so uh, people that get tattoos will get money from kind of this this pot of funds. And so right now, at least kind of the sole use of, of this kind of society treasury thing is kind of just solely incentivizing getting new members and whatnot. But right now it's kind of at its limit sort of. So right now there's, uh, I believe, like 150 people that are already kind of like in the society. Who got tattoos. Yes. They all were also not tiny tattoos, no, right? Like, like a, there's yeah. a minimum size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a pretty, pretty like evident thing. I know there. at least three people who got these tattoos and a lot of them got them really early. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like what was, what was the amount you'd get early on? I think like the most someone got was like a, a thousand KSM, which like as as of today's prices is like hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is honestly Insane. quite ridiculous. At the time, it was like not not as much, probably like I don't know tens of thousands of like of not, not even uh, wasn't less. it like a lot of people got like way way less at least at those those days prices. If yeah. they, they held on to things, it might have appreciated nicely. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like just incentivizing people to do like interesting and wacky things. I think is kind of just the idea there. And right now, at least, kind of the society is a bit constrained just because of the fact that it's literally on the Kusama relay chain itself. And so there's not as much kind of flexibility in actually kind of like doing things. Kusama in, in Polkadot, in, at least kind of like in Substrate, there's a lot of primitives for actually doing really cool governance things of like having uh, the ways of you actually organizing things and coordinate, say, spending funds, doing like treasury proposals and, and things like that. Uh, there's actually a lot of like really interesting primitives there. And so in the near future, I would expect this society thing to actually probably become its own like parachain. And you can imagine maybe like a lot of the people there are pretty, I guess, like artsy, uh, the fact that they kind of tattoos might be a little bit telling of, like, I guess some of the, the kinds of people that there are. But you can imagine maybe it's kind of like uh, a lot of these people that will come together that are in the society will can come together to kind of like create decisions of like what to do with this pot of funds, for example. And so you can imagine like this thing that is self-sufficient and actually like funding art and actually like funding uh, kind of like making like NFTs or something like that. Uh, really, like, there's a lot of just really cool structures there for kind of just making cool things that are not necessarily for the purpose of like getting money back in return or something like that. It's very much, I think, kind of this thing of like making art for the sake of art, I think, which at least kind of like funding art for the sake of making cool art, which can be really cool, I think. Nice. So what else do you see coming down the line for Kusama? The the only thing I think that's kind of like interesting to think about is right now, at least when people submit crowd loans, they kind of like give up their rights for like voting and staking and stuff like that. And they kind of give their rights up to these parachains. And so in the near future, this might be this thing where it's like parachains will be able to vote on stuff in and of themselves. So it's like the funds that are locked into the auction for that will be able to participate in governance on the relay chain. Oh, really? I always thought it was like just locked and locked. Can they stake those? Can they vote with those? As of now, no. But that's these are things being discussed. And I think it's like um, 
in the, the works for actually being that, having an implementation of sorts. But this would probably happen on Kusama first, yeah. and it would probably be tested out a little bit there. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Thanks so much for the interview, Will. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And for coming on the show. Yeah. So next up, I'm here with Raul, a council member and community manager of Kusama. Welcome to the show, Raul. Hi, Anna. Nice to see you. Raul, tell us a little bit about your involvement in the Kusama network, how it started, what you're doing now. Yeah, so I sort of work as a community manager for the governance bodies of Kusama network. So I'm a council member at Kusama and my job or role is to provide all of the information that counselors need to review, discuss and vote on motions and also provide this information as well for community members in democracy module, which is one of the collectives in democracy, in order for them to also discuss and uh, vote on referenda. Um, so basically, I make sure that everyone has the information they need in order to make an informed decision when it comes to motions, referendums or treasury proposals. Cool. Actually, so in our last interview, in the last interview I just did with Will, we talked very much about like the structure of the Polkadot and Kusama ecosystem, a relay chain, parachains, chains. And we did kind of near the end of that touch on community and governance. I think with this interview, I want to focus a little bit more on that. I know you're kind of the perfect person to do that with. So how would you describe Kusama governance? It's now been how long, like a year and a half or two years yeah. that the network is live? I think almost two years, yes. Okay. So maybe tell us a little bit about like where it started and how it's developed to now, Is it, if right. it's changed. The governance design on both Polkadot and Kusama are very similar. The difference is that on Kusama, everything is faster. Everything mm. is four, four times faster. So this means that decision-making is as well faster and you can experiment and change the parameters in the network uh, in a very speedy way. Right. This involves decision making and voting by not only council members, but also by the community. In Kusama, the governance system is divided into three collectives, right? One says the democracy module, the other one is the council, and the third one is a technical committee. The democracy module is the most important one, and it includes all of the Kusama holders. So anyone who holds Kusama tokens is part of this democracy module and is able to either propose referenda or vote on uh, referendums. The council, it's also a very important body because it kind of like initiates proposals and initiates legislation for the democracy module to vote after. In general, the council cannot really change parameters in the network without the approval of the democracy module, without the approval of the community. So this is why when we vote, for example, on runtime upgrades, we see that the council initiates the voting and then this passes to the community to be voted and accepted, right? With the help of the technical committee. And the technical committee is the third body. And this, this collective doesn't really have the right to, to propose legislation, but they work very much in coordination with the council in order to fast track proposals that need to be fast tracked for emergency reasons, for example. Yeah. So if the council would pass a motion to be voted by democracy module, let's say, the vote would be up for seven days and then you would have seven days enactment. But if the technical committee intervenes, this can be faster. 
So uh -huh. you can vote on referenda for, let's say, three hours and then have a delay of only one hour if it's an emergency. And we have ha we found, for example, a bug on the code that needs to be fixed because we, we need to remember that Kusama Network is a canary network, right, as mm -hmm. we call it. So it's very experimental and it allows us to uh, stress the chain in order for any changes that work to be after deployed on Polkadot after audits. So it's very important to stress the network in that sense. Cool. You just described these three bodies. Let's kind of go through them again. There's sort of the general democracy module, which is everybody. There's Correct. the technical council, and then there's the council council? There's a technical committee, and then it's the council. The council, Correct. okay. Yeah. The, so the general, you sort of did say, though, can the general public also submit proposals? Or is the, are the yes. proposals mostly, okay, so both the council and the general can submit proposals? Correct. So there are two uh, funnels, so to say, to submit proposals. One would, be, one would be the council. Only council members can propose motions to the council. Mm -hmm. And the other one will be token holders via democracy module. They can propose public proposals, submit public proposals that are seconded by others, and then they go up for vote as referenda. Do they need a council member to weigh in for it to go through or could it be no. any? Okay. You only need others to, sec to second your proposal. Mm -hmm. And then the most seconded proposal will pass first to be voted in referenda queue. Very cool. I should mention the Zero Knowledge Validator is actually a member yes. of the council, as you are as well. Um, tell me a little bit about voting on and off the council members. How does that actually work? Like, is it the general public or other council members who get to decide who's on the council? So the council is voted by the general public. The council is voted by the community. On Kusama, the council or the set of councillors can change every 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that Uh, the community votes on their preferred council members or on their favorite council members or the council members that most align with their interests to enter the council and be able to represent them. We have to remember that the council represents passive stakeholders, right? And so all of the community votes on their preferred council members. And then the election fragments palette, which is the same palette that elects the active set of validators, chooses the active set of council members from all of the possible sets for the best set only. And this changes or is uh, recalculated, so to say, every 24 hours. So if the community changes its vote every 24 hours, the council would be changing every 24 hours. Would you say, is there a lot of turnover on the council at the moment? Or would you say it's pretty stable after two years? I would say after two years, it's pretty stable. Um, the changes we see the most are the last two or three seats. Those are the ones we normally see changing. Not every 24 hours, but I would say every week or every two weeks, we have a new council member mm -hmm. and uh, we had to make them aware, okay, so your candidacy has been accepted and now you're a council member. And then I talk to them, I have a call with them, I explain more or less how the process work. I tell them to please join the Kusama Direction channel, which is uh, the public channel where everything is discussed when, uh, when it comes to the direction of the Kusama network. I would say right now it's pretty stable and only the last two or last three seats in general change. Do you see this expanding though? Because I know it's been expanded once, right? You've already added a couple more seats. Twice. Just 
twice. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, so is the plan to eventually, like the validator set that was expanded from, did it start at 198 or something? It expands now to yeah. 600. So like that expanded quite rapidly and it's quite big. Do you see the council also expanding or have you kind of settled on like this number for now? Mm-hmm. I would hope so. I mean, I think a bigger council would be much more representative of what the Kusama community is. Uh, we've been, I think at the beginning, it was 13 council members, then it was 17. Okay. And now it's 19 council yeah, members. Yeah, I think we joined when it became 17. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope, I would hope that the council goes up to like something like 23 members or something okay. similar. I think it would be much more representative of passive stakeholders in the Kusama ecosystem, the same, the same way as uh, the active set of validator has increased, right? Mm. That said, it's important to emphasize that um, governance on Kusama as it stands right now, it's likely to be, I wouldn't say problematic, but to raise a lot of questions and issues if the regulations that are being discussed at the moment pass as laws. Like which so, ones? What do you mean? Like the the financial action task force oh, yeah. policy. And so we need to and we will try and experiment with new forms and improve the governance to be a bit more fluid, more decentralized, uh, more accessible and more inclusive. And then put this up for vote and discussion by the community so the community can be aware and they can uh, give their input to uh, new ways of governance. Interesting. I didn't actually think about how like real world regulation intersects, yes. but I guess, I mean, I feel like it's always been on the radar, like in the future, we're going to have to think about that, but it's crazy that you're actually thinking about it now. Yeah. And I mean, I think this was widely discussed at Sub-Zero, which happened last week at Sub-Zero conference. And uh, it's not something that will happen one week to the other, right? Like the regulations yeah, yeah. will not happen like that, but we have to be prepared and we have to face them. And uh, it's important that they happen. So uh, we need to see how we can uh, comply or adapt to them as well. Kusama's parachains have also been live since, I'm going to say like the spring, this spring. Yeah. So has this changed the way governance works actually on Kusama? Like, it, does it in any way affect, I mean, I, in a way, some of the supply has now been locked in crowd loans. I don't know if that affects voting power or what have you, but it's like, I am very, very curious to hear if that has changed the thinking around governance. In general, I could say that right now, teams that are connected as parachains, so projects that are connected as parachains on Kusama are much more active when they participate into uh, the di- in the direction channel or in the decisions that the council or the community is taking. They propose new stuff, they propose new things. For example, the reduction of uh, some transaction fees for XEM protocol uh, is about to be proposed right now because a lot of parachains think or projects think that it's very prohibitive for them. Mm. So we're going to we're going to be discussing it next. In general, parachain teams are much more active when it comes to governance because it's now changes that affect them as well directly. Totally. And and governance can also help them fix issues that they might have since they are connected to the relay chain as well. Mm. Um, right now, I think we have 12 parachains on Kusama. And this week, we just voted the next batch of auctions, which will happen once a week for eight period leases. And um, the onboarding of the winners of these slots will happen 
off by one. So at the next lease, mm -hmm. the winners of the, of the current will be onboarded and so on and so on. Cool, cool. I, I think a big question, I, I mentioned this in the last interview too, it's like I'm doing this interview at kind of a funny moment where Polkadot's parachains are about to come online. Everyone's sort of shifting a lot of focus to Dot. And I wonder, like, what is Kusama now? I know it's been, it's been sort of the test ground, but when Polkadot starts to do this, do you think the sort of spirit of the Kusama parachains could change? Do you think people will still have the same enthusiasm? Or do you think there's going to be like a period where people are kind of distracted? Mm -hmm. Are you worried about I've, it? Maybe it doesn't matter, but... I don't think it really matters. I think the, the community overlaps a lot, right? The two communities overlap a lot. But what Kusama has in particular is that validator operators tend to be much bigger in number. The active set is bigger, so validators are much more diverse, which means that nominations are much more diverse and the discussion is much more active. Mm. Um, Kusama is cheaper, uh, which means that projects can experiment easily and they don't need to uh, be as worried as the cost of experimentation as they, as they would be on Polkadot, for example. And this can lead to other new use cases that on Polkadot uh, might not happen. So, for example, I think a big uh, use case for Kusama would be uh, uh, Web3 social networks, right? So we have different projects experimenting with that or identity, for example, mm. or experimenting with uh, with common wood chains that uh, in, in on Polkadot we might not see. Right. Um, so I think uh, the community will evolve into different use cases and we will see the differentiation between these two communities in the next year. Right. When we have the first chains on Polkadot connected and already 15 or 20 or 25 Kusama chains uh, connected to this particular community. Very cool. What do you actually see the spirit of the Kusama network being in the future? Like you sort of mentioned a few use cases that you think could emerge, but like in terms of the community and Kusama as a unique chain, do you ever see it like splitting away in a way from Polkadot? So the way I see it is both relay chains, Polkadot and Kusama are part of the same ecosystem. You know, my hope is that eventually in the future they will be bridged. So okay, not the, split away then. <laughs> exactly. So the, not the rogue <laughs> incentivized no. canary I, network. I hope okay. not. I hope not. It depends on governance, of course, but I'm hoping not. And and that Kusama parachains will be able to also interact and enjoy uh, the relationship with Polkadot parachains, right? Once the bridge exists, I think in general the spirit of Kusama it's very free right? And it's no promises and it's very chaotic. And it allows us to discuss very, um, I could say controversial, or I would say very borderline topics that could be dangerous for a community to discuss, right? Uh, but this is the nice part about Kusama. Like if you enter to the Kusama Direction channel, you'll see very candid discussions, right? About like why we shouldn't change certain parameters, why we shouldn't make the, the network cheaper or why we should, why this runtime uh, doesn't work. What does this palette means for the entire business logic of the network? What does it mean for the stakeholders? How does, how does this work? You know, this discussion are uh, in the center of Kusama development and consulars uh, take them very much into account when, uh, when they vote for runtime upgrades or for change of parameters. So I think in general, what Kusama allows us to do is to discuss this in a very uh, safe environment, so to say. Mm. Kusama has now 
in a way, shown how this governance works, how it works kind of on a little bit of a longer scale. But do you think that, like, do you feel like the experiment is satisfied? Do you feel like, yes, you know, there's enough proof that this is a system that can maintain a network for a long period of time? Or do you think there's still like a testing period that we're in? Basically to understand if some of these like governance systems and like full on-chain governance to this level with the sophistication, if it works. Mm -hmm. I think we're still on testing grounds. I think uh, we can say that this works. We can say that on-chain governance works and it's a Mm -hmm. valid mechanism or solution to create consensus in the community and avoid the community ruptures, so to say. Uh, But there's still a lot of things we need to improve, right? There's still a lot of uh, things that need to be a change on the governance side of things in order to be optimally working. One issue, for example, is asymmetric information. So the community having different type of information, different sources of information, how they get the real or the truth or how they get the information, right, from where uh, and by whom, and um, how they vote also, right? Uh, Turnouts in general seem to be low for proposals that are not very controversial. And um, this needs to be changed. We need the community to be uh, educated and informed. We need the community to participate and to join the direction channels and to join the water coolers and the validator lounges to be able to be part of the discussion on what's the direction of Kusama Network. And I think uh, this has to do a lot with off-chain coordination more than on-chain coordination on the governance side of things, right? But it's something that's really needed for the construction of consensus to work by on-chain governance mechanisms. So people are like, will often elect representatives to deal with this minutia. And I guess the question here is like, do you think that there needs to be new levels added to Kusama? Right. So, I mean, yes, you are right. This is the reason why council was designed, right? So council mm-hmm. represents passive stakeholders. And so the governance system on Kusama is a combination, right, of representation and direct democracy. I think new discussions and new designs will bring other levels of direct participation to to the system. Uh, we will see maybe forms of liquid democracy. We will see forms of a speediness of execution of a proposal based on the turnout and the participation of stakeholders. So there are different levels and different parameters that will be taken into account when it comes to enactment of proposals. But yeah, initially the design of Kusama was meant to be a combination of representation and direct democracy, of course, always taking into account that the council can barely execute change of parameters or change of the business logic without the acceptance of the community. Mm -hmm. Do you imagine, though, also like kind of extra levels created for funding? I guess this is like not only the council level, but also like even more granularly we were actually talking quite a bit about this bounty, curator bounties, like kind of creating a second layer of mechanisms to distribute funding. And I'm wondering if that's still something that you see in the future. Do you want to have like the council maybe decide larger funding that then gets distributed down to smaller, more granular groups? Yeah. What are you, what's your thinking around that? Yeah. So yeah, this is something we should mention also for the audience that uh, Kusama has a treasury that is distributed on chain. And the treasury is uh, funded via staking inefficiencies, transaction fees, and uh, slashing events, right? 
And uh, the console at the moment is the guardian of this treasury. And so there are different ways the console can uh, use in order to spend these funds. In general, the most used one is the uh, spending proposal mechanisms, which basically works as a grant for a team to develop an idea. Then we have tips, which is basically... Uh, recognizing the work of individual people or teams when it comes to add value to the network. And it has to do with tutorial translations, uh, bug fixes and whatnot, right? Uh, in general, it's a one-off. And then we have this new type of mechanism, which is what you're talking about. It's called the bounty uh, mechanism. And the bounty mechanism allows the console to delegate the responsibility of spending the treasury or at least a portion of the treasury to an expert on what the bounty is uh, related to. And this expert is called a curator. So basically, this curator that is selected by the console, it doesn't need to be part of the console. It can be any uh, Kusama address, has the autonomy to decide how to spend, when and in which amount to spend certain allocation of the treasury for teams that are developing things that add value to the network. So these three are the methods that we have right now or that the console has right now to spend the mm. treasury. This might change in the future. Maybe more will be added um, as well as the categories for sponsoring and for funding are, are changing, are continually changing based on the development of the network, right? So at the beginning, we have eight categories. And then given the development of Kusama and parachains getting connected to the network and whatnot, the console is seeing new funding proposals when it comes to cross-chain applications. So for example, that's a new category or the education uh, category is a newly added category as well. And so all of this changes continuously, right? And it depends on what the needs of the network are. At the moment, we have three mechanisms. We hope to have more in the future to be able to spend the treasury more efficiently, of course. Mm. Where does this um, secret society fit into all of this? <laughs> we talked about that with <laughs> Will too. And maybe you can you can just, I mean, we did just hear about it as like the listeners will have just heard about it, but I'm wondering, yeah, if you can just yeah. sort of weigh in on that. So Kappa Sigma Mu is not part of the governance. Oh my God, you guys um, have a so. Kappa Sigma, is, is, did you say Kappa Sigma Mu? Yeah, that's the name what? of the society. <laughs> I didn't <It's>, know that. <laughs> It is, yeah. Yeah, the society is not part of the governance design. It's just a membership club that was created in order to experiment with on-chain decisions. And right? tattoos. It does. Mm -hmm. And tattoos, yeah, because of course you need to have a tattoo to get in. It does have a treasury, its own treasury, right? And it is funded by the treasury automatically. Mm -hmm. I think it's like one percent every each period, or one percent of the of the potential burn of the treasury each period goes to the to the treasury of the society, mm -hmm. and from there is where new members are rewarded for bidding to enter the society mm -hmm. and successfully submitting proof of ink or the two. But the society is not related to the governance society. It doesn't make decisions uh, inside or within the governance okay. society. Uh, it's just a membership club for Kusama aficionados, so like to say. Hardcore part of people. the community. Hardcore Kusama <laughs> aficionados. Yeah. Are you in that by chance? I am. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am. Do you think, I mean, do you see actually some funding coming out of that though? Like that's a 
relatively large percentage, 1% of treasury burn, like that seems high. So is, is, does it now have like a massive treasury? It also has to find a way to distribute. I mean, it has some funds for sure that can be distributed. At the moment, the only way the pilot allows us to spend the funds is by members bidding mm-hmm. and getting their reward for a, for a successful bid, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of discussion among the members uh, about changing this logic and allowing the existing members to decide, kind of like the console, right? To decide how to spend these funds. And like if some members have ideas about proposals or about things that could add value to the network, maybe also uh, fund these members via the society treasury. So these discussions are ongoing in the channel, which is also public. The The society channel is also public, and that's where you can see also the submissions of the POIs and the challenges to existing members and new candidates getting information and so on. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Is there any last thoughts you want to share? Um, I think if you're interested in the direction of Polkadot, it's always important to see the Canary Network first. So if you're interested in the direction of Polkadot, pay attention to Kusama Network as well. Kusama Network is a much more flexible and faster uh, network, and it allows us to experiment with the code that the teams are creating. Join the channels, pay attention to the discussions, uh, talk to your counselors, and vote. Very cool. Okay, Raul, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing with us the insights into Kusama governance, a little bit about the society, and yeah, where you could see it going. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. So I want to welcome Bruno Schwartz, founder of Remark, to the show. Welcome, Bruno. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. In this part of the episode, Bruno and I are going to be talking a little bit about the Remark project, an NFT project on Kusama. And then we're going to also talk about Kusama. So it's a bit of a shift from what we just talked about. Remark is a Kusama first project. So Bruno, maybe you can introduce yourself and share with us what the Remark project is all about. Uh, sure. I, uh, I started out with Ethereum in 2015 uh, when I data mined my happiness and figured that JavaScript was making me miserable. So I dropped all of my web contracts and just transitioned cold turkey. I spent the next year just learning. Then I started educating, built some educational websites, a magazine where I taught Web2 developers how to transition to Web3. Um, A few hundred posts and a book later, I got hired by Status to work on Ethereum 2.0. And um, I was their technical writer. And then after a year or so of that, I got poached by the Web3 Foundation to work on Polkadot and Kusama, also as a technical educator, actually. Nice. And the remark came about when I noticed that the NFT craze was ramping up again in August of last year. I had been pretty deeply into Kusama by then, and I, I liked the chain very much and the little cult that grew around it that, that mm-hmm. had this little art, artsy bend. So I figured it would be a real shame if Kusama missed out on the NFT wave that was coming. And I recognized it because I was a big part of the first one on Ethereum when, when things broke due to CryptoKitties. But, you know, Kusama being Kusama, no smart contracts and stuff, so needed to to get creative with hacking NFTs onto it. Um, Turned out really great, but it was really Russian roulette, so could have gone very, very wrong. Tell me a little bit about Remark then. What is Remark? How do you get NFTs on Kusama? Uh, When I first came up with the the concept, it 
it just recycled the idea from Bitcoin's early days with colored coins, where mm-hmm. you just basically store custom messages alongside transactions and interpret them in a special way, and then you kind of get extra data from it. But obviously, that never went anywhere on Bitcoin because nobody wants to wait for two hours for their NFT transfer to confirm. But the, like the idea is is good, especially on Kusama, because when you issue these transactions and there's like every substrate chain like Kusama has this uh, remark utility, which is where the protocol got its name. And if you issue a remark on the chain, that's basically like you graffitiing the chain. Uh, You don't issue, you don't make a state change. It doesn't get stored in the database of the chain itself, but it gets stored alongside the blocks. And so it it does get stored on the hard drive of the nodes that are running, Mm. but not on the chain itself. So it doesn't bloat the state. And if you compare it to something like blocks in a blockchain being a shipping container that contains transactions and transfers them, what we did was we graffitied the outside of that container. So that value is still there. Um, Only we built a special language on how to interpret and read these graffiti to actually get NFTs out of this. So this, this is, yeah, this is how it started. So let's explore what remark you just said. Remark is like a it's a code. It's a it's a call in Kusama. Where does that actually live? And is that like the equivalent of like memo field? Yeah, it okay. is exactly like the memo field. Okay. Only in most chains, actually, yeah, it's exactly like the memo field. It lives alongside the block. It li- like so like the remark isn't extrinsic. The function is an extrinsic, which means mm-hmm. it's an external input into the chain. And usually extrinsics have some sort of effect, like they will make a state change where an account balance will change or you will you will write a new value to the blockchain's database, like um, I am now nominating this guy or I have just voted for this referendum. So those are state changes. But uh, remarks are, are stateless uh, extrinsics, meaning that they're just basically, you know, you shouting into the ether and they, them not having any effect. So they don't actually change the chain, but all the full nodes of Kusama and any substrate chain actually do save these mm-hmm. um, alongside all of the blocks on their hard drive. The follow-up question I have to that then is, so what you're doing is you're trying to create an NFT-like experience, but there is no smart contracts. So NFTs, as they're known to most people, what is it, ERC-721s or whatever the new... ERC that's being used to like design mm-hmm. an NFT that's all reliant on smart contract enablement. Like you have to be able to deploy a contract mm-hmm. in order to mint an NFT. You don't have contracts. You're using this remark utility. You're using the memo field or remark field, I guess. So like, what do you put in there? How is it that you could still have an NFT that's transferable if you've just written something into a memo field? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, we use the remark field, the the remark as an event in an event sourcing database. And so you essentially, what you essentially get is every single change to the system is a new write into a remark. So you will issue in block one, you will issue a remark like mint uh, this picture of an apple as an NFT. Mm -hmm. And then in block two, you will issue a remark saying, send this picture of an apple from Alice to Bob. And then if in block three, you say, send this picture of an apple from Alice to Charlie, uh, that remark is now going to be invalid when processed by our, by our tools that are looking at all of these remarks, because in block two, it was already sent to Bob. And so mm. this is the first problem of the, of the remark system as it is. 
And that in order to sync it, in order to be able to know the up-to-date state of the NFTs in the ecosystem, you have to basically sync from scratch and consolidate all of these events, uh, squash them into one final state that is calculated from the very beginning. Now, we do maintain uh, regular uh, automatically updated dumps on IPFS of all of this, so people can just fetch the latest valid state of the entire Remark ecosystem. But this is obviously very un- inefficient, and this is why we are currently rewriting the logic to actually move away from remarks and get into pallet territory and uh, smart contract territory as well. Okay, yeah, because the way you describe it there, you have almost an external system that's looking at these memo fields, and you'd almost have to compile. Like You're, you're basically watching states change in this separate thing. And so what you're saying now, though, is you're thinking of moving it onto a pallet. Are you probably going to make a parachain then? Is this like going to be its own network? No. So it is exactly like that. So we run a consolidator service, which is also a standalone script that anybody else can run, which then fetches all of these remarks and squashes them into this final state that is valid. Okay. Now, during our fundraise phase, we had buy-in from all of the heavy hitters in the Kusama ecosystem, all of these parachains, uh, where they basically committed to adding our pallets to their runtime when they are available. Ah. So moving to pallets has always been the plan, only because there was no parachain technology when we were starting Remark, we had to improvise. So they have actually committed to adding our pallets to their runtimes. And this in turn means that when the Remark pallets are on all of these chains that have committed to this, we kind of made the first unofficial system-wide spree in Polkadot because all of these chains will share our runtime and you'll be able to seamlessly teleport your non-fungibles from one chain to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this has always been the plan. And we're also moving to uh, smart contracts because uh, fundamentally it is incredibly easy to write this functionality that we have in Solidity. So we are there's also an ongoing effort to rewrite it at Solidity and deploy it on Moonriver and Shiden. Um Though Remark has significantly evolved since its, you know, NFTs and image days in the in August of last year, um, we we now uh, we 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 went from a hack on Kusama to support basic NFTs to the most advanced NFT system in the world, and I I, I say this like <laughs> with full objectivity <laughs> and and awareness sure. of, of of how cocky it is, um, <laughs> but I can promise you that in like. Three to five years, every single NFT in the world will be based on Remark or a copy of Remark, purely because nothing else will make sense. Remark is to NFTs what Ethereum was to blockchains um, when it came out. Whoa, these are huge claims. But I want to take a really quick step back because you use two terms that our audience may not be familiar with. You mentioned a pallet, mm-hmm. pallet being kind of like a module in substrate. Is that fair? Yeah. Palette is a plugin for Substrate Chains, which allows you to add in custom functionality. Cool. And we did talk about Substrate in an earlier part of this interview, so people should be familiar with it. You also mentioned Spree. Mm-hmm. I have defined that on previous episodes with Polkadot people, but maybe you should explain what Spree actually is. Uh, yeah, so Spree is, or, or, or short for like Substrate Protected runtime and execution environment or something like that. That's basically like when you have like a programming language, you have some libraries that you can reuse across your projects to get some functionality that you already used before somewhere else or that somebody else wrote. And Spree is very much like that. Spree is like a common core library for parachains to subscribe to. 
Mm-hmm. So Spree is like a system that parachains can declare that they're supporting. And for example, you can imagine a balances Spree where two chains declare that they support the balances Spree. And now they understand each other. Uh, the problem that, that Spree are, is solving is when you have two parachains that are not developed by the same team and that may not even know each other, these chains can, can send each other a message through the cross-chain messaging protocol on Polkadot. But that message doesn't have to be interpreted properly by the other chain because the other chain, like if chain A says to chain B, send user user Bob 100 tokens, the other chain might not know what user is, what Bob is and what tokens are and what 100 is even. By having Spree in a like a central place, like a, like a relay chain, it's kind of like a library in between, like an interpreter that both chains can declare, all right, for any balance changes, I'm going to listen to what this Spree guy tells me it means. And by doing this, the chains can intuitively understand each other and the execution of the message that, it's, that is sent is guaranteed because there's no way that, it's, that it gets misinterpreted. Is it sort of a standard almost, like a standards channel? Kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Only it's, it's a full implementation with its own database on the relay chain or probably going to be a Spree parachain or I don't know what, what the plan is there because Spree yeah. isn't really under development yet. And this is why I say we're the first like unofficial Spree in that if all these chains implement our pallets, then there's no need for a central Spree of Remark. And this means that they can actually talk directly between the pallets that they implemented, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. Like I, I need to dig into your claim that it's the most advanced NFT. Like, so you have this, you have the NFT palettes on all these different chains. You've created sort of your own version of a spree, like non-official. How, like, is it, is it that infrastructure that makes them so advanced? Oh, no, not, not, not that. It's purely in what it makes possible for NFTs in uh, that it allows them to move away from expensive images. Right now, all you have is basically expensive image NFTs. And this is because on Ethereum, where basically all the NFTs are, you have two standards, ERC721 and ERC1155. And these support the lowest common denominator, which is just a reference to an image somewhere. And this is for good reason, because when you're a general purpose computer, abstracting away all of that functionality is really hard. And all of these marketplaces and incumbents that are already on Ethereum have a huge problem implementing new things. And so they like to play it safe. And the ERC721 makes them a lot of money right now. Yeah. So it's economically rational to reject change there. So this is problem number one. Problem number two is that on Ethereum, when you're doing any kind of standard development, like on ERC721 or even ERC20 for fungible tokens, what you're doing is you're basically just writing a spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet has many rows with many columns of data, only NFT spreadsheets just have more columns. Um, so whereas an ERC-20 spreadsheet will have just an address and the balance, um, an ERC-721 spreadsheet will have an address and the balance and then also an attribute of that NFT and another attribute and so on. Uh, fundamentally, this is inefficient because all of these spreadsheets are abstracted away to the most common data structures, which means that you're always storing strings and numbers. And storing a lot of strings in these data structures on a public blockchain with high demand is incredibly expensive. And this is why transferring a simple NFT costs 100 to 200 bucks on a good day on Ethereum. This can never be efficient. Now, what we've built on Remark, with Remark 2.0 especially, which is live now, we have five fundamental NFT Legos where when you put them together, you can compose a system of arbitrary complexity without smart contracts, but also 
any UI and any app that supports these fundamental primitive Legos automatically supports any derivation of them, any permutation of them, anything that you can put together from them. And this is what gives the system its power because in Ethereum, if you want to build an NFT project that has any custom functionality, anything more creative than just an image, your community is beholden to your UI. Mm-hmm. You, they, they have to rely on you to build that custom UI for them. If you disappear, that functionality mainly disappears. Nobody's going to be interacting directly with the contract to play with your things. And if you get an actually advanced NFT project out on Ethereum, it is going to look extremely plain on marketplaces like Rarible, like OpenSea and so on, because mm-hmm. by definition, when you customize your NFT, you've written a custom smart contract. And these marketplaces have zero incentive to add UI support for your custom contract. But if you have fundamental Legos that you can very easily support technically in the in the UI way, then you also support any derivation of them. And because you can build really rich projects from these Legos, any UI that supports them will also support them automatically. Now, you can always smarten that up even more with more custom co- contracts around this. But in the vast majority of cases, we've abstracted these Legos enough to support most of what people want to build. And so these Legos are NFTs being able to own other NFTs, uh, NFTs being able to equip other NFTs and change their appearance, NFTs being able to receive on-chain emotes, so reactions from people, which is pretty cool in terms of price discovery and social mechanics. NFTs being able to uh, have multiple resources so that you can have different outputs depending on different contexts. So like I can mint a video game NFT that contains code, a PDF manual, and a high-resolution cover image. And if you load it into a game-compatible marketplace for NFTs, you will just have it autoplay run. But if you load it into a primitive environment, like something like OpenSea, you will just see the image, right? And if you load it into something like our marketplace, Singular, it will open the PDF because we have a PDF reader built in, so you can read ebook NFTs there as well. And so one more Lego is uh, conditional rendering, where you can have little bits of logic called JSON logic in the NFTs that will trigger based on some on-chain and off-chain information. Some change, basically. Yeah. Okay. So if I have like something like um, uh, a mountain that's, that's surrounded by, by flowers and, and birds and everything, I can say, provided that this NFT has an alternative resource that's a snowy mountain, I can say to the NFT, if this NFT gets 50 snow emojis, switch the display to the snowy, snowy mountain. And now if you make that equipable into uh, another NFT so that it's a background, for example, then you now have an evolving composable image that can react to emotes that people send it. Wow. Um, and the fifth Lego is, is fractionalization of NFTs. We've actually done, I've done a show on fractionalization with Andy Chorlian. We can actually link to that if people want to find out about that idea. Cool. So it, yeah, the fractionalization is, is a really cool concept, but it's used in Ethereum precisely because of the limits in, in functionality and because of the gas fees only to gamble. So all you can do is speculate with these fungible tokens. Whereas in Remark, you can use them to democratically govern, well, plutocratically govern an NFT. So that if you need to collectively decide that an in-game avatar needs to equip a piece of equipment, you can distribute that avatar's fungible tokens to the community and they will vote for it. And now we have like collaborative gaming sessions on Twitch where, where the audience is live modifying the loadout of a character that, that the gamer is getting into battle with or wild. stuff like that. I mean, this is a wild project. Thank you so much for sharing kind of this insight into it. I do want to link us back to the topic of this overall episode, and that is Kusama. Mm-hmm. You've decided to put 
remark. I mean, it started on the Kusama Network. I guess you said like August 2020 was when you were starting it. Yes. Yeah. So Kusama Parachains came live on in April. Now, you know, we're getting close to polka dot parachains coming live. Do you, you're primarily a Kusama project, but are you thinking of moving to polka dot? Is there a reason you're on Kusama? Um, the reason is that this was a wild enough hack to deploy on a wild enough network. Uh, Kusama seemed friendly to it. And I didn't feel like it matches the context of Polkadot mm. to to put this basically vandalization of blocks onto <laughs> Polkadot. It always felt more at home on Kusama, which is much more artsy, much more open to things, and which I'm personally a bigger fan of. However, by the time Polkadot is ready for parachain deployments, we will also be deployed on some chains with our pallets. So by extension, we will not be necessary in the remark format on Polkadot. And so we will be implicitly available through our partner parachains. We will not launch our own parachain, but we do not intend to have a separate deployment on Polkadot per se, especially with the announced bridge between Kusama and Polkadot. I don't think that's necessary. Got it. So you are a Kusama first project then? Yes. You just described this Kusama ecosystem that it's more creative, that you were doing basically graffiti on the side of the chain, which I love that image. But yeah, tell me a little bit more about Kusama as it stands and maybe how you see it developing now that Polkadot is live or going to soon be live in its fullest form. <laughs> I don't actually think we've seen much, we've seen as much testing on Kusama as everybody wanted to see. And so I don't really consider it uh, the canary network for Polkadot haven't considered it for a while. I've always con- considered it its own mainnet that is growing its own audience and its own projects. And um, I think it's it stands really well standalone on its own. And I think it can evolve in that direction really, really well. There are certain problems that need to be resolved, like uh, decentralizing the council some more and, and just generally fixing some issues with governance uh, in particular. But I think Kusama is on a really good path to be an incredible powerhouse, especially for this experimental nature of projects that that might be seen as weird. Like I've always compared Polkadot and Kusama to like Kusama is your your garage band concert where your friends come and you have a few cases of beer and everybody's having fun and somebody spills some beer on a speaker and it doesn't matter because the other one's still working Mm -hmm. and you shout songs at the band that you want them to play and nobody cares and everybody's happy and everybody has fun. Uh, Things break, people fight, but uh, at the end of the day, this is the story that we tell our, our children and friends. Whereas Polkadot is like a symphony that is that is rehearsed, that requires, you know, like uh, people with bow ties and pinkies out uh, to calmly <laughs> sit in the first row. Mm-hmm. And um, when you need to make a change in, in the symphony, you have to have buy-in from the conductor, the audience, the orchestra, the singers, everybody who's involved has to agree to it. And um, it'll take a while to make a change. So in a way, Kusama started out as kind of this practicing ground where you kind of practice your instruments for the symphony. But in effect, it turned into what actually happens. And that's that the punky garage band stays a punky garage band. And the and the symphony guys are just schooled elsewhere. I really like this independence of Kusama. And I think it can go a long way if it decouples even further. Amazing. I really love the image you just presented. Yeah. Do you have any last sort of thoughts? This is the last interview of the Kusama episode. So maybe if you want to send any encouragement to folks who are listening to this, it might be the first time they're actually aware of this network or have seen some insight into how it's, how it's running. Mm. 
I would say that no matter if you're technical or non-technical, if you have any ambition in launching anything, just ship. Don't plan, don't think. Uh, I used to be of the persuasion that a lot of thought needs to be put into things. Like uh, I would spend four weeks on a domain name and then four more on a basic design. And then I would log on to Twitter and see that three different people have done the project during my <laughs> deliberations. Um, he who ships wins. So ship and win, you know, tune in and do something. Um, mint an NFT on Singular, uh, build a project that hacks the chain or, um, you know, deploy something, deploy a new prediction market on a Zeitgeist beta version. Uh, go in, explore, click around. There's literally nothing to lose if you're this early. So yeah, be brave and explore this this crazy ecosystem. That's very cool. And also you have very much this NFT ethos. I've been hearing this from other folks in the NFT space of just like shipping so fast. You just have to do something quickly. You can't sit there and plan the same way you maybe even did in Web3, especially not the way you would have done in Web2. Wild. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for sharing your journey, Bruno. And thanks for coming on the show. Sure. My pleasure. And I want to say a big thank you to the podcast producer, Tanya, the podcast editor, Henrik, and to our listeners. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.